welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. My name is Chris Chapin. With me, as always, is... Caleb Shively, the name of me. Hey, it is the name of you, Caleb. It's pretty great. It's pretty great, actually. It is a good name, Caleb Shively. It's kind of like, it's got got some pep and zest. Yeah, uh, it's it's very uh, southern uh, tinged. Shively is was one of the last names of the designing women. Caleb is an old, uh, was a very classic white person cowboy name. Caleb, uh, yeah, you know, biblical. It's very biblical. Biblical too. I googled my name. Uh, you know, when you first googled it, it was uh, not Hardy Boys, but like a Hardy Boys ripoff villain was named Caleb Shively. The, tar- <laughs> the Tardy Boys. <laughs> Something um, like that. Yeah, and I did not know that the one of the designing women's last name was Shively. That oh, must yeah, have Mary been a very jo. interesting lens through which you viewed that television Oh, sure. Show. Well, I, I was a big fan of Anthony on that show in, in general. Uh, He's great. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to. I'm having all these like flashbacks of designing women. I can't keep my thoughts straight. But we. That's a, that's a, that's a separate podcast that will. You're be having to us, certainly. all of these flashbacks. You're having many different designing women flashbacks. It yeah, was a popular Delta, show. I watched yeah, it with my parents all it had the time. So much, yeah. It brought so much heat. Uh, uh, Delta Burke was on it. Gene Smart was like, I was like, or whatever, first big TV shows. Such a very, it was a very amazing. Uh, um, Sex and the City ripped, completely ripped that shit off. It's completely true. Um, this is the kind of stuff we talk about every episode <laughs> on Actually Best Choice Movies. We talk to you about one movie that's old, one movie that's new. And this week, I do have to say, I think after having watched them both, I think it's a very inspired pairing, as always, down to Caleb being a genius. Um, we're talking about. Dune 2021, the Denis Villeneuve Dune movie. I made sure to say that because I Googled how to pronounce his name, and I'm very Villeneuve. proud of myself. Yeah. Denis Villeneuve, <laughs> starring Timothée Chalamet, which is also how you're supposed to say his name. Timothée. 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 Timothy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's very shy about it and doesn't want to make anyone say Timothée, but it, that is how you're supposed to say it. Are you really Timothée? It's supposed to be Timothée, but that always just seemed like too obnoxious requirement to put on people. So Timothy, Tim, Timmy. And the other movie is Lord of the Rings from 2001. Uh, Both adaptations of supposedly unfilmable nerd texts that are like, you know, sacred, both very successful movies and both, you know, we can assume with Dune, you know, launching small franchises. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Fantastic. Great thinking, Caleb. When we're going to talk about it more in just a second. That's all this week on Actually Best Choice. Movie hee hee hees. Movies. Uh, before we get to any of that, yeah, like I was saying, Caleb, this was what a good what a good pick this week. Um, we were having a little bit of trouble just because like there's lots of possibilities and it's hard to think what aspect of it to zoom in on what, what aspect of Dune. Um, one of the things I was thinking of, which I didn't ever communicate to you was I, I thought the visual design of this movie was so inventive and it made me think of movies like, like alien say where it's, you know, things in space is such a well-trod territory in film and television. And it's like, people tend to kind of use the same shorthand visual design elements but dune like really i think is very inventive and original in 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 its visual design you know in the the spaceships and the instrument panels and the armor and all that stuff right it's it's completely imagining something different um but but the aspect you chose to zoom in on which i think is really smart is these like literary adaptations these big blockbuster movies these beginnings of franchises so like yeah do you want to tell me a little bit about this oh yeah uh it's I think as we go on to movies uh, now, and especially how movies get made in uh, our lifetime, uh, 
probably you could probably circle around to uh, uh, Lord of the Rings as being a, a kickoff of that because also it was like a very nerd thing. And what happened after uh, uh, that's nerd adaptation happened was comic books became a thing that the nerds went heavy on there, and that was a whole thing. And we're not going to do a Marvel movie to pair. We're not going to do that. But that's a whole universe they paired yeah. off in general. Yeah, just think about that. This is twenty years between two thousand one was when uh, Fellowship of the Rings came out. Uh, and this is 20 years later, which Dune came out, which, uh, yeah, there's 20 years of uh, franchises in between there. You got the MCU. and he, uh, uh, Another movie we talked about doing was, uh, speaking of, of space and how sci-fi thing, uh, the first in kicking off a franchise, uh, Phantom Menace, the Star Wars movie, which was crazy successful. It was bad. <laughs> but, like, it was a thing that, like, uh, I mean, how many things do we, Star Wars things do we have now? It was because of the at least financial success of the phantom menace and also uh george lucas always said he was influenced by dune but like there's even like things you forget about like oh yeah there was what six pirates of the caribbean movies that's not yes true. this is one of the things i started <laughs> thinking about i had written this tweet today that i never sent because i didn't think it was like super <laughs> accurate or insightful oh, yeah. but it's Everyone like good enough that. for the podcast <laughs> which is like okay if you think of um Lord of the Rings, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, the first Spider-Man movie, and the uh, oh shit, there's one more in here. Um, Lord of the Rings, Spider-Man, Matrix. No, it came out in uh, Harry oh Potter. Harry Potter, the first yeah. Harry Potter movie. So those all came out in 2001, 2002, and mm-hmm. 2003. That's three years, four films, ten hours, and three and a half billion dollars of box office. And I think that sets the template for so much of certainly the two thousands and mm-hmm. in a way up to, up to today. I think one of the main things that changed was um, after the dark night, everyone decided that a, a blockbuster action movie has to be very sad. And that, sure. that, that hadn't happened yet in Lord of the Rings time. Mm-hmm. Certainly yeah, you can I, see that in Dune, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some feelings with Lord of the Rings just as the fact that it is, uh, you know, uh, uh, that beloved of a novel by, and can be enjoyed by adults. It did come out at the same time as Harry Potter, which was clearly more aimed at a child's right, demographic. Sure, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, this there movie is uh, aimed at children too. I feel like. You know, oh yeah, I would I would agree with that too. There was a Burger King tie-in for Lord of the Rings. I, that's one of the last things I googled instead of actually doing research. I was like, oh yeah, I remember there was Burger King. Is that right? And I looked up all the toys and then got distracted and realized we had to do the record <laughs> the podcast. That's pretty <laughs> funny. I like that a lot. Um, what were the Burger King toys? What what were they? Uh, they're like uh, figures, but like there was a, a whole bunch of them that they connected, and there was a center one, which oh, uh, the God. center one was. Uh, I think it, I don't know. I think it was. I don't even. I'm looking at a picture. And I still can't tell what it is. Was but this, yeah, the, to- the toys look are fucking cool looking. Wasn't there? I feel like for like a decade, I had some kind of like glass goblet for Lord of the Rings. I had gotten at yeah something like Burger King. Yeah, or something I like remember. That. I think they had because you could get the paper crown there. I think it had like the uh, the elfin language that's around yeah, the ring there. And I feel like it used to light up on the bottom. Like there was some kind of little thing you could like flick a switch and make the <laughs> the bottom light up. Oh yeah, I probably could get. Money, a weird right thing. But yeah, it's yeah. weird that that existed, yeah. I mean, it is like, <laughs> what a strange time for, for movies. And I mean, but just to talk about both of them, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it is, the, and certainly like Lord of the Rings had been adapted before with these great Rankin-Bass cartoons. Which oh, are sure, like, for sure. 100% They're not it. major like blockbuster movies, but they were like pretty faithful and like enjoyable adaptations. They have, it's cult following. Yeah, I was a, I'm a huge fan of that Rankin-Bass Hobbit. <laughs> They're really, really good. Um, and then, but you know, not exactly the same kind of thing. And there's and, a, a Ralph Bakshi uh, adaptation where he did like the first uh, one. 
first book and a half of the second one, but yeah. Right, right, right. And then Dune, of course, famously, there's this half David Lynch movie, half mm-hmm. whoever it was, half Alan Smithy movie. Um, and then this weird sci-fi channel miniseries from the yeah. from around the time um, Lord of the Rings came out from the early 2000s, which I watched with all my friends in college. We would get like epically high and like watch this Dune miniseries, which was like very, very cheap. You know, it was yeah. very obviously like three feet of sand in front mm-hmm. of a, like a matte painting, you know, and like that's where every scene takes place. Um, but you know, it's like kind of fun, but there are these like things that are like these unwieldy, super dense, like very emotionally charged sci-fi fantasy masterpieces that are like supposedly unfilmable, right? You just cannot convey what the movie, what the book is in a movie. And it's also due to the passion of its fan base too. Like right. Dune is like a, a super thick novel. Like there's three Lord of the Rings. People love these things. It's like, it's, uh, like pseudo religions are based off of these, yeah, uh, exactly. tomes. Uh, but but these movies both found a way to do it. And, you know, like, mm-hmm, I think there's an mm-hmm. argument. Certainly, I was reading the Roger Ebert review of Lord of the Rings where he's saying, like, this is a good, exciting movie, but it doesn't it's not really Lord of the Rings. You know, it is obviously in some ways, but the book is so much about just kind of about walking. You know, like, yeah, if you if you re- reread the book, it's so much of it is just about like you know, hiking and like how boring and painful it is and how worried everybody is. And they just want to stop and eat lunch, but they can't stop and eat lunch. And then they finally get somewhere, but they like get kicked out of that place like immediately and they have to fucking go walk somewhere else. And, you know, the movie is a lot more like big action set pieces, you know, which are all in the book, but they're just maybe not the focus in the way that yeah, they're the, the focus the, in the movie. If you're going to make a film where you have to do, uh, heighten up your juicy stuff uh, too. And uh, I don't know, uh, I think maybe that's why Dune could only succeed as a film now, and I guess we'll, we'll get into it in more in a second. But yeah, it's because of uh, not only the uh, expansive of technology, which uh, both these movies yeah. probably couldn't exist without the certain technology, but also because uh, audiences were ready to be like, okay, cool, we want a post-blockbuster blockbuster now. We want something that's big and thing, but really just is more slower and uh, political in its way too with Dune. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. Yeah. Well, it's funny to watch. I mean, again, we'll talk about it in a second, but it is funny to watch Dune now because when it was written, it's about imperialists in the Middle East, but it's like that wasn't so much of a thing in culture as it is now. You know, it's mm-hmm. very easy to slot that into a, a contemporary person's understanding of the world, but that is what the book has been about this entire time, you know? I mean, the the For longer sure. the Dune books go on, the more straightforwardly they're just like, it, it, uh, Paul Atreides is Muhammad, and you know all the Fremen are Muslims, and you know everybody else is the Westerners, and it gets pretty obvious. In the first one, it's a little bit mysterious, but you know not in the movie because it's just visually you just keys into so much of you know action movies you've been seeing since we invaded Iraq, where you're just watching like soldiers in the desert and like guerrilla fighters in the desert and it's like that's just such a part of especially american mm-hmm. culture now it is interesting how it keys into that um but yeah i don't know do you want to get into it do you want to talk yeah about we're talking about it now so let's just say some words and then keep doing what we're doing yeah. yes so the first <laughs> movie this week is 2021's dune i've been having dreams about a girl on arrakis i don't know what it means Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Hey, you. Put on some muscle? I did? No. We are House Atreides. There is no call. We do not answer. 
There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts! Like Arrakis itself, many have tried and failed to conquer Dune, the 1965 Frank Herbert novel that's a classic of science fiction. It's been stripped down for parts by many, uh, most notably George R.R. R. Martin, who lifted not just its concept of warring great houses and sad action set pieces, but, and this has always kind of bugged me, the entire character and arc of Swordmaster Gurney Halleck from Dune, who in Game of Thrones becomes Dancing Master Silvio Farrell. But it's exactly, the, it's exactly literally the same. It's always bugged me. Um, anyway, so this new version is from uh, director Denis Villeneuve, uh, and it stars Timothée Chalamet and Oscar Isaac as Leo and Paul Atreides, the heads of the doomed house of Atreides, summoned from their peaceful life on a beautiful, rocky, and wet planet that is maybe Iceland or Ireland or New Zealand, it's hard to tell, um, to lord over the desert planet Arrakis and oversee the mining of spice, a strategic hallucinogen that makes interstellar space travel possible. Uh, this is a you know classic sci-fi novel, so that's barely scratching the surface of the things that happen in Dune, but like, let's say it's a big, sad outer space action movie with like lots of parables and allegories that I'd say uh, succeeds where many other adaptations of this source material failed through both adherence to and divergence from the novel. Uh, Caleb, what did you think of this movie? Uh, yeah, well, it, yeah, we said it's uh, only part one. So uh, I think uh, Denny Villeneuve, which uh, I am a huge, very going to be biased to Denny Villeneuve. He might be, if not one of the best directors working today, but he, uh, just made a movie like as what technology affords us to he pushed the genre of the movie itself forward a little bit here or just brought it up with a, a, a thing that we possibly thought was unadaptable and i think uh how he did that uh was shoot big things make it big uh it's on hbo max right now which is cool uh, but it didn't help it hurt his box office. It's currently number one in the box office. Uh, right. But it is made to be seen in a theater. Like I he, mean, yeah. Supposedly it's made to be seen in like IMAX. You know, I only saw it in the regular yeah, I, theater. I kind of probably was wish good. I saw it in IMAX too. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, well, all, directors always shoot to big screen. That's what they're making movies for. But he specifically, like there's just shots of spacecrafts in general. And he shoots them big and like widescreen and uh, fills up the whole screen with like barely the background. And it just with like these big things happening uh yeah and there's i don't know just top to bottom like what you want from like a classic movie is you know uh big story uh then you want movie stars and this cast is absolutely stacked, oh, yeah, stacked. <laughs> absolutely stacked like, yeah uh like referencing timothy chalamet uh he's having his moment right now i saw the his current west anderson film in theaters right now uh oh yeah he's a weird actor and he's getting to like dude and now he has a, a very big signature role under his cap here too and not just him like obviously we're going to talk about oscar, oscar isaac Isaac's about fantastic. every episode he comes up oscar isaac comes up in every episode <laughs> i know right he's in so many movies it's impossible <laughs> not to talk about him uh but even just like uh like um you referenced gurney uh it was played by uh josh brolin josh who, uh, brolin yeah right very much in his wheelhouse of like this uh, uh stout army republican character in a way uh, even like you have jason momoa uh 
being like such a bastion of heroism in this moment. Yeah, he's looking kind of like boyish because he's clean shaven, which I feel like you don't usually see Jason Momoa's like chin, you know? And it was like, great. He looks looks kind of different. He looks younger than he usually looks. But it's like one of the interesting things about this movie is the way it uses people like um, uh, him and also like Dave Bautista, Mm -hmm. people who are like big hunks of like just like slabs of action movie muscle, but is doing something like a little bit more complicated with them. Like so many of uh, the, the, the Duncan Idaho scenes are like kind of emotional and joking around. And they're, they're kind of like intentionally referencing um, Han Solo sometimes. Like when he's like working on the bottom of his spaceship and sparks are flying off. I mean, that's like the empire strikes back to me is what like yeah. when Han Solo is doing that. Um, so that's interesting. I thought it was interesting that they're getting sort of like, other stuff from these people. I mean, Dave Bautista's not doing very much, but walking on screen and grunting. Oh, yeah, but, he's going to get that next movie, yeah. But next movie, <laughs> supposedly, he gets a lot more to do. But uh, uh, one th- thing I wanted to say, wait, you brought up, I mean, Timothy, right? Timothy, mm-hmm. we can call him Timothy. Tim. Tim Chalamet. Like, one of the things I think is really interesting about this movie is because it's like, you know, a classic sci-fi epic. It's about a, 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 a boy coming of age. So, and this is only the first half of the book, which is something they didn't really advertise ahead of time, but it kind of was like hit Twitter Thursday morning that it was only half the book, which I was glad to know going into it. Anyway, they shoot so many scenes of this movie are intentionally trying to make him look slight and boyish, which isn't hard because he is like an extremely thin young man who's very waifish, you know, but they do stuff kind of like he's wearing these military jackets where it's almost they're like flared out so his shoulders are narrower than his hips in many shots which cannot be literally true but that's how they've costumed him to make him look boyish but it's it's amazing to see him and because you're so used to him seeing him in like a gq photo shoot or something to see him and be like oh look at this tiny child you know like that was very interesting (laughs) but then also half of the time i thought they're not shooting him like a handsome man they're shooting him often like a beautiful woman like, and maybe I'm like, uh, maybe I, that's just me <laughs> thinking that, but there's like lots of shots of him, like walking up a hill at sunset and like the sun is coming through his hair and like his hair is kind of like blowing in the wind. And he's like, just kind of like looking off into the distance and shaking his chin a little bit. And I mean, I guess there is a history of like shooting beautiful men in this way. Like I'm thinking of Brad Pitt in a lot of early nineties movies, but like, I-, I thought that was really interesting. And I thought a very intentional choice because you just cannot, I forget there, there's a quote by one of his directors or co-stars from the past. That's like, you just look at him on film and you're like, this is a beautiful person. And you just cannot say anything other than that. Like he looks beautiful on camera, you know? I think yeah, it's, so. uh, yeah. it's, not, it's very true. And uh, he, sometimes you have to do that as just beautiful people do. Like maybe like you can't truthfully judge their acting. So as uh, your thoughts are compromised because they're so beautiful. So what you do in that situation is just what he's doing. Pick good roles for yourself and be yeah. uh, a weird actor. I think that's what Robert Pattinson has done to transition out of uh, his twilightness and uh, I don't, Timmy was really never in like a big franchise. I guess this is his big franchise, which is like, wow, what a franchise to actually pick yeah, for yourself. Right. So way to go. Why do girls love him? I, is it Call Me By Your Name, which was yeah, a gay romance? Everyone? Yeah, right. I, I yeah. don't know. I don't uh, know why. I think girls love him. He's probably in something. I think he's just has, I think he's got a good social media presence. He's just that good presence. looking. He's got a good social mm. media presence, number Met, one. Netball, yeah. He's very like authentically engaged on with people. He seems like a real person on social, you know? And also, mm-hmm. like, he's 
I think being in, like, Call Me By Your Name, I mean, look, that's like the name of a fucking Lil Nas X song, right? It's like, it's like being that kind of like sexually indeterminate pretty boy is like very hot right now. So I think that's kind of what, what people like. Hey, maybe he's, he, he, he kind of made it hot too. He made, he did. Yeah, he's he, one of the people that made it hot. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And he's, I don't, yeah, he's picked always good roles for himself. Uh, like I said, Call Me By Your Name, he was in Interstellar, he worked with, Christopher Nolan. So, so it is, and I just said he worked with two of our great directors, uh, Wes Anderson and uh, what and Denny Villeneuve here. Uh, yeah, so good for Tim, Timote uh, being an actor. We're going to be Willy Wonka soon too. That's actually completely kind of fucking crazy. That's maybe a bad idea. I think that sounds like a big paycheck part. Uh, I don't. It's uh, I don't know uh, from from the director of Paddington movies, uh, uh, Paul King. So I mean, I want to believe. <laughs> it is really interesting if you think about. Timothy coming of age as he has in this era of Marvel movies, you just have to imagine he's been offered so many superheroes. Oh, movies. for sure, yeah. Which is again great for him picking cool roles. Cool roles. Uh, yeah, maybe he'll be over when he finally is in a Marvel uh, dips his foot into the superhero. It is crazy how they're five finding to ten it, years, like the seeing the Eternals that they've like finally gotten Angelina Jolie to do a Marvel movie. You mm-hmm. know, it it comes for everybody sooner or later. You know. Yeah, that's not a. That was the joke in uh, Birdman. Like, oh, he, they already did one. We can't. We can't pick him. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm. It's really, really remarkable what interesting choices he's made. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, to talk about uh, maybe our theme of uh, just uh, blockbuster filmmaking, uh, and that's how you not necessarily become a validated uh, movie star, but it's just a way to get seen by a bunch of people really quickly <laughs> and uh it's i mean a lot of these people I mean, i'm just looking at the cast too. i guess oscar isaac is in uh was an x-men and then josh brolin was uh thanos but yeah dave bautista yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah people but there's it's a, a, a great cast and we even mentioned my favorite performance in the movie because it's uh, one of the more complicated ones, Javier Bardem, who's just again one of the great oh, yeah, actors. It's insane they got Javier Bardem to be playing here. Stilgar, the head of the Fremen. Yeah, he's great when he shows up because he's he's supposed to have this whole attitude of like these fucking aristocrats. Like I hate these morons. They don't know shit about my planet, and they all are fucking dumbasses. Um, and and also he's like kind of maybe could kill them at any second, but it, it isn't doing it. Um, I, I thought his performance is great. I mean, he got a lot of laughs in the movie theater I was in. Um, it's a funny scene too, the, the first scene, cause it's this, this thing on Arrakis where it's like the, you know, Arrakis is a desert. There's no water. So the, the greatest possible show of respect is to spit at someone cause you're like giving them your water, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's like he spits and then, you know, everybody's going to kill him <laughs> and then they figure it out and it's. Oscar Isaac spits back at him, and yeah, everybody. They say thank you for your gift of moisture. Just <laughs> so fucking funny. Yeah, I mean, dude is a weird movie too. Like, let's not lose sight of how absolutely like bonkers this movie too. Uh, there's uh, he has to uh, learn this test because he can hear voices. So part of his test is to uh, cut off his hand. This is awesome scene. It's great. Oh, we're not speaking of great actors, they get Charlotte Rampling. Oh be- yeah. Well, have have you ever read this book, Caleb? Have you ever read this? I have not. No, no. Oh, no. yeah. So, yeah, this is. And like I barely film. remember the Dune, uh, the Lynch version. Super uh, famous scene. Yeah, the people. the Benny Gesserit sisterhood. I can the, see that being the weird well. sisters, the witches. You know, they're um they're so huge in the Dune universe. The and Benny they, Gesserit. The 
Quitsack Hotterock, I think is the name of the test. Um, oh no, that's the chosen one. This, oh no, God, I forget the name of the fucking test. It has a dumb name. Yeah, yeah, I forget. I think it had an I. It might be the Quitsack Hotterock. Quitsack. Uh, which I'm definitely spelling rack. Which I'm definitely spelling correctly. A shortening of the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the Quitsack Hotterock. Um, where it's like you put your hand in this box and you are feeling the most intense pain you've ever felt in your life. And you're like, they're showing it in the movie. He's like imagining a hand getting burned off. And that's like, it's, that's what's happening in your mind is like, you know, you just know for a fact that your hand is being burned to to ashes, to cinders. And you, but it's like, if you move at all, they're going to kill you. And like, are they really going to kill you? Or is it just a kind of test? Like, seems like they probably would kill you actually, you know? And, um, but then at the end she finally calls it off and he pulls his hand out and it's totally fine. This is like fear is the mind killer. I mean, it is funny how many things from Dune are iconic with a certain set of people. I mean, fear is the mind killer. Um, the spice must flow all these kinds of spice. Like these are the kind of things that show up as like, weird one-off lines and strange cartoons you know oh yeah south park references the spice when they're making fun of tom brady exactly these kinds <laughs> of things you know or like an anime or something where a yeah. bunny all of a sudden will say fear is the mind killer you know like this is it's very 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 influential text um and yeah i mean how did this movie do okay it's been a long time since I read the books, but definitely there are it, 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 a lot of it. I remembered watching it back again, sort of the big main scenes I think are sure. you know, pretty faithfully represented. Um, but like I was saying, one of the things I really liked was um, the, the visual inventiveness of the movie. Like there's um, when a giant spaceship comes into view, it looks like a giant concrete cigar that is hollow. And then a bunch of tiny little dots come out of it but those are like terrifying murder spaceships. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the film's commitment to looking weird and also trying to establish like your emotional connection to that weirdness. I thought that was like what science fiction filmmaking should be doing. And it Mm -hmm. it doesn't do enough these days. I felt like he repeated some of the shots for these big spacecrafts. They come in like, okay, cool. It's uh, rising out of something. It's rising out of sand. It's rising out of water. Uh, but then I realized after he was doing that, it's, he was being repetitive with these shots for a reason because uh, it's helping build the actual character of these ships. Because later on in the movie, as they like uh, get broken down or explode or like have things happen to them in general, like oh, I since I am familiar with how these things look at certain angles, forthright, I can see when they explode, it's more emotional to me, which is you know cool to like oh, wow, that cool thing, I got to see something cool happen to it. (laughs) Well, speaking of emotion, so this is one thing I, speaking of like emotional connections, emotional reactions to the movie, this is one of my quibbles with the movie is like, I think the way it, it, I think the way it is, is good, but it's like, okay, so basically from the very beginning, from the first scene, you know everybody's gonna die. The movie's just telling you very explicitly, like, and many characters say it over and over again, like, this is a trap. Your family's being put in a trap. You're all going to get attacked. You're going to die. Like every, everything bad is going to happen to you immediately. And and I think that it, it does establish that pretty well. And then it pays it off pretty well also. Right. But I think in the book, it's a little, I would argue it's more emotionally devastating because the characters themselves, even though the, that does happen and they do believe themselves to be going into a trap, the characters start to believe that maybe they can get out of it. 
Like they think like, oh, if I'm smart enough and if I am like skillful enough, I can find a way to get out of this. And that's what makes the eventual downfall and this their betrayal by this doctor, Dr. Yue, Dr. Yui, who in the movie, it's like, it doesn't really matter. But in the book, it's like so devastating that Dr. Mm. Yui has betrayed them because he's like, he's like their really good friend and and they kind of are making things work. And then it's like, fuck, if fucking Dr. Yui hadn't done this, like every, they could have, they could have gotten out of this, you know? But <laughs> you really don't get that sense even for a second in the movie. It's like, Dr. Yui betrayed them. Like, who cares? They were going to die anyway. Like, obviously, if it wasn't him, it would be somebody else, you know? Damn. Uh, as, as, person who wasn't familiar with it too uh, i i i uh let myself get manipulated by a lot of the actual filmmaking which is you have denny villain making a film it's uh, uh, as the person who always gives myself over to him in general it was uh yeah uh sound design in this movie is really tight uh, it's like really really cool uh sorry if you watched it on hbo max because you didn't get to have that yeah. surround sound of like uh the fluttering of a thing or like there's a whole the uh, Pitching their voice is a big part in this movie, and that is uh, was designed designed beautifully. Uh, really, really, really impressive stuff. Uh, but yeah, um, speaking of Denny Villeneuve, to uh, talk about fanboying of him, which like he he's turned into like he, his movie before this was Blade Runner twenty four twenty forty nine. So he's taking like two sacred things in movie. He's taking the Blade Runner, which is one of the great movies of all time. Another uh, sci fi thing. Uh, you talk about alien. We, we like did that, that on this show, did we? I don't think we did actually. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, I he, didn't. I didn't like it that much. To be a perfect, visually stunning. I didn't think it was that great of a movie. I, this is hundred percent. I agree with it. But it, also, like the what he built that world out to make look yeah. cool yeah, was amazing. Definitely. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his other movies. Uh, Rival, I thought was so good. Sicario. Uh, but I wasn't too familiar with his movies pre. Uh, Prisoners and Enemy, which are both had Hugh Jackman, one had Jillick Dillon Hall. So it was like his big uh, American features. Uh, before that, he was um, in 2010, he had uh, an Oscar nomination for a foreign film because, you know, Canada, if you're in French, you get a foreign nomination because that's <laughs> insane. Even though uh, it doesn't seem like it should count as Canada yeah, as a foreign it, country, but it but does I, if it's French <laughs> Canada. Yeah. So he made all these like, big epic sci fi since, uh, well, Prisoners is about shouting at Canada. I think it's actually one of the great cinematography movies anyway anyway uh uh his early stuff is so depressing and insane and uh i'm so glad he's like making big blockbusters because one he's always had that eye like even his first movie is called august 32nd on earth and it's like a a a jacques tati riff or like a french new wave riff uh very fun but also like he just made uh like a pop movie in uh, 1998 that was like kind of slow he took a couple years off there's another movie called maelstrom in the year 2000 which the narrator's a talking fish because he's always good with creatures my man always does creatures well arrival had those cool creatures blade runner dune obviously has amazing creatures uh but then he made this uh movie that i just uh recently watched uh right at the same time i watched dune uh incendies which is the one he was uh, oscar nominated for and it's his best movie, and it floored me, so I have to mention it. Uh, I was so depressed after watching it. <laughs> I loved yeah. how sad it made me. Uh, has uh, it? It's based off of uh, a play in the Middle East, uh, which is, he really does this outsider's Western perspective for it, too. Uh, and he, I didn't know that because I was reading about it because I was obsessed with this movie. Uh, but it has some Radiohead song drops for that reason to make it have 
seem more Western, but the drops in it and Radiohead's such a good band that they work so well. Ugh, I don't know. He's just so good at how he manipulates me, specifically me. <laughs> specifically, Caleb. Yeah, you're, um, you're that, I'm so glad disconnection that, and on yeah. and yeah. That Dune gets to exist for well, tell me, me more now. about Incendies. What, what is that movie about? Ooh. So, ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't want to get too deep into it because I don't, I'm not going to even spoil it. But uh, she's a mom and she uh, passes away and gives uh, her children in the will. They could, uh, they'll inherit the will, but they have to like track down their brother and their father, which they didn't know about their past. So as it unraveled its past, like we as the audience get to see other flashbacks of like her and get to know more than the kids know. Uh, and so it's like once they find out like, oh, wait, uh, uh, we get to learn that, oh, wait, they were the ones that were born in the prison, not their brother or like stuff. There's there's child murder. There's rape seeds. Uh, there's a mass. Uh, uh, what's it called? Burning of a public bus. It's insane. And it's so good. And the twist at the end, like it's you're going all through all this stuff. And then the twist at the end just kicks you in the face and it's so good <laughs> i'm not gonna spoil it but incendies uh you can't stream it anywhere so sorry everybody but i rent rent a dvd how did you oh you rented the dvd yeah <laughs> caleb i like then know this comes up on this show periodically i do love you are the one one of the only people i know in my life who is like <laughs> screwing over the netflix corporation by making them maintain all these physical plants and like doing mailing you know all they want to do is stop doing this but it's <laughs> so cool that you do the dvd uh but my point is that Danny Fiola is really one of the great filmmakers and a person who rose to the challenge of dune i guess i should we should mention uh, uh jordowski's dune which is another adaptation sure. that didn't was so good it didn't get made <laughs> that disney almost made it at one point which is kind of weird to live in that universe where that yeah, right. actually Well, happened. that's like late 70s, early 80s Disney where they were just fucking floundering and they had no clue what they were going to do with anything. Like, um, oh, people... Uh, you know, Jordanowski has a cult of people who will as well to see his movies. Let's give him money to make something weird, uh, maybe. Everything he, we make is a massive flop and uh, <laughs> we might be going out of business. So, like, let's just do whatever, you know? What if they gave him the shaggy dog to do instead? That would have been... Mm, I want to see The something. Cat from Outer Space by Jodorowsky. <laughs> Um, Well, well, this is actually one thing about Dune. This is like a real criticism I've seen of of the movie, which is that, um, you know, so one of the the main bad guys, Baron Harkonnen, who's being played by Stellan Skarsgård in this movie, who I think is doing a good job. Some people hate his performance. Um, But one of the things about his character, not just in the books, but in all the other adaptations, is he's supposed to be a person of appetites. Like he's he's hugely physically fat. And it, because of that, has to like have this, this technology to hover his body around because he's like too fat to walk. Um, but the other thing is he's supposed to have like disgusting sexual appetites. Also, he's like a pedophile, and he's constantly like there are he's surrounded by like children, and he's talking about having sex with children and all this stuff. And it's because you're supposed to be like repulsed by him, but you're also supposed to see him as like the ultimate expression of like you know capitalist appetites he's just endless hunger endless indulgence of himself right and so that's all been dropped for the movie and he, he is fat but in fact i don't even know if we ever really see him eating maybe like for a second um, yeah, yeah. but it's like really he's just like a huge you're just supposed to be disgusted by his physicality like it's like a horror a body horror kind of thing where he just has a big fat glistening wet body you know, but there's no kind of like explanation as to why he might be like that. I mean, for all you know, he's some kind of crazy alien that is just like a big fat alien, like Jabba the Hutt kind of character. 
Um, but that was interesting. And I mean, it is interesting to kind of excise that part of the movie. I mean, I understand that like you wouldn't want to make a movie in 2020, (laughs) but it's like, he's the villain. It's supposed to be bad. He's, it's supposed to be reprehensible. That is why it's in there. Um, uh, maybe they'll at least wink towards it. Wink towards it. I don't know. Well, the second one, yeah. Uh, I will maybe. say as a compliment to uh, to the Stellan Skarsgård performance, I thought it was so treacherous and villainous in his uh, uh, introduction to this character that I initially thought it was Gary Oldman, <laughs> one of the great <laughs> villain actors of all time. And then I was like, wait, that doesn't look like... Because it was also like in a thick layer of... Yeah. Uh, prosthetics yeah oscar nominated fat oscar winning fat suit actor gary ullman yeah exactly (laughs) uh he's also a great villain in kung fu panda too uh love bringing kung fu panda to up Uh, you do and it's uh, it's one of the things i admire about you um yeah you know it is it is very as somebody who loves a big science fiction movie and actually like is disappointed it's funny because we're living in a time where there's a lot of science fiction being made all the time it's one of them it's very it's paradoxically very cheap to make in a certain way right now so Mm -hmm. a lot of there's a lot of netflix original science fiction movies where it's kind of like one or two people alone in a room and like a computer is talking to them or something i've seen like all of those movies i've watched you know all the new star treks all all kinds of stuff right but like often i those things leave me a little cold and i don't really i don't think they're very smart and they're certainly not very fun to watch. I thought this movie did a good job of being emotionally complex, exciting, but also, you know, like fun to look at. And, you know, it it was an, it's an adventure at, while at the same time being an emotional character study. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's like, it's very like political overtones. It's all there. It's all uh, easy to follow in that regards. But it is really fucking cool to look at. We didn't even talk about how awesome the sand, the scenes with the sandworms. I love do. how the sandworm looks. Where he, the <laughs> teeth, they look like giant, like I don't know, like, like steel underneath. beams or something. They just look like, yeah. like whiskers maybe, but like terrifying murder mm-hmm. whiskers. And he plays it the whole scene too. It's just like, oh wait, well, you don't really get to see him. You just see like the sand like pop up out of the thing, or just oh, movements so going cool. around. And they they track it super far away. Uh, and when it does comes, like you sink into too. So it's always like a, yeah, it's a good like 10 minute scenes the whole time. I will say that uh, I, I saw it at a place where you could get drinks. So I had to pee, but I was holding it so much because the sandwiches were coming up. So I was waited until the first sandwich scene to go pee at, <laughs> right after that, which is a uh, uh, great, but it was on HBO Max. I went home and watched the season. Did you really? <laughs> of course funny. I did. <laughs> That's so funny. I have been tempted to rewatch it again on HBO Max. Like it was just really fun to watch. You know, I, one thing I think was dumb in the movie and I, I don't remember this specifically, but you have to assume this is from the books is the, um, they spend a lot of time in these crafts called thopters, which are helicopters, but they're dragonflies. Dragonflies. Yeah. yeah. Which they are pretty <laughs> stupid looking. I think they're pretty stupid looking. Uh, uh, and it's looking, distracting, but like they said, you know. But like what I said, like, uh, I said earlier, like when they actually start breaking down or like something happens to them, like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like when they don't work, you can see like, yeah. oh, that's it, what it looks like when the one wing breaks off of it. And you can see why it's crucial to leave them the way they are because it's, there's scenes where it's like they break down, but they're able to kind of like glide to mm-hmm. land, which you obviously could not do with a, a helicopter. Like if a helicopter breaks, you fall straight down, you know, whereas these, if it breaks a little bit, it can still work a little bit. 
So you have to rethink that whole scene if if, if you're not using these like fucking dragonfly helicopters. <laughs> but there's there you know one of the things you suggested doing with this was uh, Avatar. Did didn't Avatar have some weird ass helicopters too that were kind of like this? Uh, the army might have, or just army helicopters. But the the uh, the the are they called Avatar the Nave? Well, I forget what they're called. Yeah, I'm the Nave. Of, yeah, yeah. Uh, they then they just like fly, like on like connect their hair to a thing. They connect their hair know. to a thing. No, I guess when I'm <laughs> I'm looking at them now in Avatar, they had these. Um, oh no, God! Now I'm looking at like military helicopters. I'm getting I'm getting targeted ads for military helicopters. <laughs> in Black Hawk Down, that they have. No, they have these uh, crazy ass things that are like they've got four like big circular kind of drone style helicopter blades, but like coming off the thing. So it's like a central kind of bus with like four big circles coming off of it. And each oh, circle sure, sure. is its own like little thing. Like a drone drony type one. Yeah. Like a drony type one. Exactly. Uh, and audience, you're welcome. We didn't want to do Avatar. Avatar just seemed like a perfect thing to do because it's also about to launch into several movies soon. Theoretically, uh, also, brother, still hasn't happened, right? Still I mean, hasn't happened, but also I don't like Avatar, so we, we saved you. Uh, we probably should. We were talking about dude from uh, we saved us talking shit on a thing yeah, that sure. only is good in theaters to uh, you, know, you know, Lord of the Rings, which is we didn't great. we didn't do Avatar, so but I'll tell this story anyway. Like Avatar, and I probably told you this. It's has one of my most embarrassing movie theater movie going experiences, Ooh. which is I saw Avatar at Christmas with my family. Okay, and we saw it on Christmas Day. So you know, by the time you get to Christmas Day, and, and my family at least, you've been home three or four days. You're kind of running out of stuff to talk about, especially once the Christmas gift opening is done. You're kind of like checking your watches, like, okay, should we leave now? But you obviously can't. You're going to be there another full day at least. So we went to see Avatar. We all had an amazing time. And we leave and we're just like gushing and gushing about Avatar, how fantastic it was. And in retrospect, part of that is just like we had a new thing to talk about, you know. But like at the time, I'm thinking like, oh, this is amazing. I had such a great time watching this movie. Like what a what a great time. And I'm also hearing and knowing that it's massively popular. It's making all this money. And so I, I got back to New York and my girlfriend at the time, I was like, you know, hey, I really enjoyed this movie Avatar. If, I know you haven't seen it. If you want to go, we should go see it. And and. But I mean, I think in real life, I was more like, oh, Avatar was fucking amazing. You have to come see it. Oh, my God, let's go see Avatar. And she was like, OK, yeah, we can go see Avatar. And about 10 minutes into Avatar, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> like, it did not really hold up for me on a second viewing. And I could tell that she was not enjoying it at all. And I also <laughs> knew there was a two hours plus to go in the movie. <laughs> And I was feeling just deeply embarrassed, you know, and I knew it was going to finish and we're going to have to leave the movie theater. And I was going to have to kind of like justify having brought her to this movie, you know? <laughs> Damn. Yeah. It didn't feel great. Um, do you have anything That's else? You, do you have anything yeah. else you want to say about this movie or should we move on? Uh, we should move on, but yeah, uh, it's a, uh, I can't wait for part two. That's a, always a good, uh, sign when a movie franchise starts franchise kicks off is like oh i need to yeah uh get closure on this thing that i uh just really enjoy it's also extremely confident usually like okay so and, and like i was saying before like nobody knew nobody knew this was only half the book i i didn't and it was not part of the marketing materials none, none of the articles mentioned uh, it. He, i i, I kind of knew he I, he's meant uh villain mentioned in interviews that he was doing it <laughs> okay okay well i guess i i guess i didn't know i didn't know. 
Um, but it's very confident, right? And it's very mm-hmm. interesting because um, usually this is what you get at the end of a franchise. Like we're doing Lord of the Rings. Obviously, um, after the massive, massive success of Lord of the Rings, uh, Peter Jackson went back and made three movies out of the one book, The Hobbit. Out uh, of a much shorter book, yeah. Yeah, the very, very short book and is like not really that great of a book. I mean, it's fine, but it's kind of goofy. And then also the Harry Potter movies, obviously at the end, at the very end, they made two movies out of the last book. Um, but it's like to start off making two movies out of the first book, it's like pretty ballsy. Um, and it also did, and this is something I meant to say, and I'm I'm glad I remembered. Um did you get the sense, Caleb, that you had not so much watched like the movie Dune as you had watched the pilot episode of Dune? Do you know what I mean? Like Dune. The- I know what you mean, but if it wasn't for the actual uh, filmmaking behind it, right, uh, right, right, yeah, it's what sets it apart and makes it uh, worth uh, the attention and probably uh, uh, production design awards it will get at Oscar season. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, right. I mean, and I don't mean that as a knock on the filmmaking. The filmmaking is yeah, fantastic, yeah, yeah. but I mean just sort of the note it leaves you on. You, it very much has that feel of like okay well now let's watch the next episode oh yeah yeah it totally does that and uh maybe that's a good mark of uh uh a first franchise thing to uh uh, obviously lord of the rings had that but that was obviously built in uh but harry potter's well it's a similar example uh but yeah uh it's good to leave things open-ended if you want to franchise i don't think they um as a great example that came to my mind uh Back to the Future is a great trilogy, uh, but I don't think they were announced to do all three, but they left it so well open to... Yeah, supposedly that was yeah. just like a joke that they ended it like that, but then people, the movie got so much yeah, it positive deserved, attention deserved, yeah. that they ended up having to do it. But it was just kind of a joke that they ended it like, oh, now they're just going to go have another adventure. Like, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a fun, you know, little note to leave it on. Yeah. Like, you know, the world isn't, the adventure isn't over. It goes on forever with these characters. You there's know? money to be made in these franchises. Apparently so. Uh, there's probably, there's ones that franchises that didn't, uh, Valerian is a, a thing that didn't take off. Yeah. I mean, they've even tried making Alien into a franchise of several movies. I mean, they made Alien. Alien is a franchise of several movies. I mean, they didn't. Oh, it is, but like recently with uh, Covenant and uh, Prometheus. Prometheus. And actually, they're doing a a TV show of Alien. Yeah, that didn't quite work out how people were. There was just like a really strong negative reaction to Prometheus, right? Like people were very mad at that movie, which I personally don't get. And I almost suggested doing it, pairing it with Dune, because I, I do think that like it is a similar kind of visually inventive action space movie where even though it's taking place in the alien franchise, which, which I was mentioning is, is like a a visually inventive. I felt like Prometheus was reinvented everything again. And I, and despite all the negative attention that got, I do think like it was influential in, in sci-fi filmmaking because I think a lot of movies look like Prometheus after it came out. Uh, yeah, it was shot by uh, uh, Darius Wolski, who's uh, shot. So it's a lot of Ridley Scott's movies, but also uh, uh, other cool stuff in general. I can't think of anything, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's a. a, a I don't know. Uh, I think I was. Da- I'm always down on Ridley Scott in general until now because I like the Last Duel. <laughs> oh yeah, I want to see that too. I haven't seen that yet, but. Uh, we are getting far yeah. from our... Yeah, we're going like way long tonight. I thought we were going to like have a trouble filling out the episode, and here we are at 50 minutes. We haven't even oh, gotten to the second movie. Yeah. 
Um, uh, we could go through this here because uh, we've all seen Lord of the Rings here. So let's uh, we're going to just talk about how give some flowers to a, a movie right now. An amazing movie. Yeah. So let's do it. The next movie is 2001's Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. What must I do? The ring must be destroyed. The ring must be cast back into the fires of Mount Doom. There is evil there that does not sleep. Sauron's forces are already moving. They will find the ring and kill the one who carries it. No, Frodo! Come on, Frodo! I cannot do this alone. Here is a quote from Peter Jackson in 1998. Fantasy is the one genre that's never been done especially well. After a hundred years of cinema, there's not a lot of new ground for storytelling. We can all point to great musicals or horror films, but no one's ever really nailed fantasy. So that's the challenge I want to see if I can pull it off. Uh, Jackson was, of course, referring to his adaptation of J.R. Tolkien's novels, The Lord of the Rings, the first of which is 2001's Fellowship of the Ring. Needless to say, Jackson nailed his assignment. Chris, let's talk about 2001 Fellowship of the Rings. We were teenage boys at this point, uh, knowing going to movie theaters and seeing things that we've read or seen. And what was your mindset going in, if you remember that time? Oh, my Lord. Going in to see The Lord of the Rings. Well, I'm a little bit older than you, Caleb, and this is like right in that time when that matters a lot. Because I I was a teenage boy, uh, but I was 19. And um, so I... You know, what was I thinking? Well, I'd seen Harry Potter earlier in the year, I guess. And I was just like, I'm somebody that really loved Lord of the Rings as a kid. And actually, my mother read me these books as a child when I before I and then I went on to read them myself at least once, maybe more than once. And I was very, very excited for it. Um, And I think, like I mentioned before, I left kind of feeling like that Roger Ebert review, like this was great and a lot of fun and, and amazing. And I think one of the things to really think about with this movie is like, there's so much that's hard to access about seeing it for the first time, but like this is the very beginning of CGI and movies that works. And like to, to Mm -hmm. watch this movie in 2001 was to be like completely fucking blown away about how perfect it looks these days. You don't even think about it. It's like, of course everything is CGI and everything looks a hundred percent perfect. Every like blade of grass and piece of hair on somebody's head is absolutely perfect but in those days like that didn't happen and i mean contrast it for example with the first harry potter movie which is from the same year and has Mm -hmm. a truly awful cgi segment with like you know where all the kids are fighting the orc in the bathroom where they look like shit cartoons you know but the cgi in this movie by and large holds up which i think is one of the reasons why the studio that did it weta which is in new zealand has become like the world's number one cgi uh house because like it's 20 years later and like it still looks good. So, mm-hmm. you know, what, what was my mindset? I was excited and uh, I, I, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Um, yeah, what about was, you, uh, Caleb? Like, uh, I was only uh, read The Hobbit and seen Hobbit stuff. I haven't actually read the Lord of the Rings books, but uh, buzz, buzz, buzz. I, was, I remember being buzzing after seeing that because it is a, a show. And I think the reason uh, to speak to, uh, specifically of the CGI, it works a lot because it's not overtly CGI too. Like there obviously yeah. is a ton, but like there's a lot of just like cool practical stuff too. Like even just the way he would have bigger things to sh- show the uh, sizes of the hobbits look smaller. Like he would just have bigger set pieces or like have 
children play the hobbits at certain point. Like that, that's like practical things to do, or the actual orc costumes too. And that comes from uh, uh, Peter Jackson being a horror bona fide actor. Uh, people see Dead Alive. People, if you haven't seen Dead Alive, it's uh, it's spooky season. Watch Dead Alive. It'll gross you out. It's the best, one of the best zombie movies. It's not necessarily a zombie movie, but it is anyway. Uh, he knows how to do. Uh, showmanship stuff. He knows how to like where your set pieces are. Like we were saying, like this is a movie, a, a book uh, was about like walking around and stuff. And, but here he's like, no, cool. I'm going to uh, show you how have a, a extended wizard fight scene. Like, oh, cool. They're going to, we're going to build up to them go into the actual mountain now. And that's where shit's going to hit the fan now. Uh, yeah. It's just all awesome stuff that he does. Uh even just down to like the casting, uh, recognizable people, but like not super big at the time. Like I remember, it was kind of weird that Elijah Wood was in it for me, just because like, oh, okay, I don't know, like, I don't know if I could explain that. But like, <laughs> what, yeah. yeah, what do you mean? Like, because, you, because of your pre-existing relationship with Elijah Wood? Yeah, his motherfucking North and was in Flipper, Cider House Rules. <laughs> had, had that come out? Was he in Cider House Rules? Isn't he the main kid in Cider House Rules? Or? I thought it was Toby Mac. Oh, maybe you're right. Damn. That's supposedly one of the things like <laughs> you can do to fuck with either one of them. It's call them each other's name. Oh, yeah. And uh, Daniel Radcliffe, too, gets lumped in there, too. That's pretty <laughs> funny. That is pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, I, I haven't watched it maybe uh, a Fellowship of the Rings in several years or so. It was like a thing like, oh, cool. It's always on cable or like, uh, uh, I get it. It's a great movie. But, no, it is. It holds up so so well like even uh, i think what it do- why it does is because it's sincere like the characters are very sincere like like you mentioned like there's like a like a han solo character in uh uh dune, dune yeah. or like someone just like calls out the action a little bit uh and there is like some but just comic relief but only like classic comic relief like mary and pippin are like there for like kids jokes like how do you want to eat and uh mm. the actual funniest character in this movie is gimli who's just awesome because he's just psyched to do go on missions and like do cool shit the whole time and it's funny that he's like that uh but yeah no one like they all like are there for the team the fellowship the team or like the honor of the, what they're doing it's awesome and that's why this movie works so well i forgot how much they cry in this movie too like oh when God, yeah. uh of course we all see something to spoil it like gandalf dies and they all like cry and, ah, like, <laughs> for god's sakes give them a minute <laughs> Like, By nightfall, this place will be crawling with orcs. <laughs> There's so many like cool lines too. You forget like "run, you fools," or uh, "you shall not pass," which is like oh, Gandalf lines he says in the same minute. Yeah, I don't uh, think he knows about second breakfast. What about elevensies? <laughs> I forgot about the. Uh, I remember that Kate Blanchett was in it, but I forgot how awesome her Lady of the Woods scene is. That's probably a thing that's so well written in the books. They go to this uh, land and. Basically, she's there to reinforce like that he needs to leave. That's where Frodo gets the idea that he can't he has to do this on his own, really. Uh, but the part where she like maybe I'll give you the ring, and she just like oh yes, the lo- a woman will rule them, and she says it's like very scary. They do close ups. Uh, it was one of those things that I'd probably like. Wow, these are probably like twenty sixteen to twenty edits of just her. <laughs> they probably filmed her like for a full day of just oh my this. God. 30 seconds scene. Instead of a king, you would have a terrible queen. (laughs) It's awesome. It's amazing. I actually like that whole sequence. That was one of my least favorite in the movie where they're it. So this is after the whole battle with Gandalf, after they've gone through the mines of Moria. It's this little kind of grace note at the end of the movie. They're having this like time in the elvish woods. 
they're doing this effect. This is actually one of the things that stood out to me as being not really aging that well, where everything, it's like the colors are a little heightened and there's this kind of like mm-hmm. CGI mist, not mist, but this kind of like, I don't know, it's hard to describe, almost like portrait effect kind of thing going on uh, in, in the elvish woods. And I was like, this seems a little weird. And it like very obviously was not real. You know, I was like, and it, it's also, I mean, it's in the book. Okay. And this is how the book ends, but it's, you just kind of feel like we just got through this major epic ass fight. And there's like another epic fight coming in like two minutes. And you're just kind of like, this whole sequence is weird. This whole sequence is weird. And I don't know about this. <laughs> uh, it's, I don't know to speak of like how it holds up and stuff. Like it, as we're talking about uh, blockbusters, like yeah, 2000, it's 20 years ago. So this is, uh, a, a good time to remember like how these movies uh were just huge and like really set uh uh the gold standards of a, not necessarily a, a, a adapting a book but just uh how to do a certain type of fantasy epic like he, like I, I i started with that quote about fantasy film like sure he took liberties with a book but he's a filmmaker he's wants to he said he wants to do a fantasy film uh, yeah that quote was from 98 so he's been working on that on this movie it, it, this is like a, a portion of his life a filmmaker's portion he probably was all said and done he started it in like what 97 yeah, pre-production on this movie started in 97 so pre-production so probably his personal planning started in like 96 yeah, and yeah the so last crazy. one came up well you know yeah. my wife is from new zealand and she was saying this movie like completely took over New Zealand for years and years and years. And like basically every location in the country was, they were filming Lord of the Rings at, and it was like impossible not to know what was going on. And like, if you're working in film and TV, it's like you had a job working on Lord of the Rings. And Mm -hmm. you know, the, the scene where they're, they're leaving the Shire and they're hiding from the Nazgul under this, this like log, like that was in the woods behind her house, (laughs) you know? And like the, um, every outdoor location, you're just like, Oh Yeah that's in the Southern Alps and like, Oh yeah, that's in like Arthur's pass. And like, everything is just very, very, I mean, this, I mean, literally in a lot of ways put New Zealand on the map, not just like Weta, which oh, is it, it, like a huge deal, but um, it, it really it, up their profile. You could take tours of, uh, of this, of walking through their pass of, to go to things. And you know what? It looks great. It looks amazing. It's, he knows how to shoot. He knows where the greens are. He knows uh, where the mountains are. He knows how to like, go over top or find a view it's it's amazing it, like it's insane how much everything in this movie really uh works to set this insane to build a world to build a world of hobbits and wizards and things that you can't fathom to happen to well, happen and so this is one thing that i think is a real good parallel between these movies so like we're so I, I keep talking about how there are these like very dense books that are like very hard to adapt and what I think they both do a pretty good job of is like throwing you into the lore in this way where <laughs> Lord of the Rings has more voiceover than um, Dune does, but they just kind of like start acting like this is the world and they explain it a little bit, but they don't explain it too much in a way that you as the audience, it's like you want to keep up with it. You want to be figuring it out mm-hmm. as it's happening. And there's usually like a character surrogate who's also trying to figure something out or like an audience surrogate that's trying to figure something out. So it, it, it draws you in and involves you in wanting to, wanting to solve the mysteries of, of the world in, in this way that I think makes it able to shove a bunch of lore and techno babble at you without it feeling overwhelming or like stupid exposition dumps all the time. 
Yeah, that's I would say why we didn't want to do uh, a- a- Aviator Avatar yeah, aviator, um, yeah. is because it does do exactly that. Like it dumbs. This you is unobtainium. Like get, it's the hardest yeah. thing to get. You know, <laughs> we're like no uh, respect your audience and uh, let them and then show them cool shit. That's what both these movies yeah, do. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I want an orc costume. Those things are like I forgot how like he shows them up close too, and like they're like disgusting. Like, they're all glistening. Yeah. I mean, it was really interesting to think about, you know, because obviously Peter Jackson's background, other than The Frighteners, was in this, these kind of like low budget gross out oh, movies. Oh, good lord. Everyone check out his movies. They're so oh, good. amazing stuff. <laughs> but like, it is interesting to to think about that while watching Lord of the Rings because mm-hmm. for all of the grandeur, you know, CGI stuff, there is a lot of like camera tricks and there's a lot of like kind of gross practical effects and mm-hmm. a lot of like, sometimes things seem kind of like shaky in a way that's maybe not 100% intentional, but it's like the best take of it or something, you know? And just kind of weird choices that you could see a low-budget horror filmmaker making. And I think (laughs) a lot of times those people are really well-suited to making this kind of movie, like, for example, the Spider-Man Sam Raimi movie from, like, the next year. Oh, yeah. Which is like, you know, Sam Raimi's bringing all that same kind of stuff to bear on a superhero movie, and it was a very, very successful and enduring superhero movie you know <laughs> uh that's why i always try to pay attention to uh yeah directors of especially like uh, uh marvel movies or like these big budget things it's like oh cool we have a budget to see what you do throw, throw your gauntlet down uh that's how marvel gets nerds like me to watch their movies chloe Zhao is going to direct the eternals um so crazy it's crazy and uh i i am here for it i love uh the, first of all directors i love are getting a paycheck do the one for them do the one they'll do Go do the one for me. Uh, yeah, so uh, I don't. I love Peter Jackson. I don't know what he's been doing lately. Probably producing. He does a imagine. lot of these weird things. He did the. Um, sorry, he did the uh, the Beatles docu series that I think we're all talking about. Well, yeah, this is what I was going to say. He's doing yeah. a lot of these kinds of things where this is also kind of like a Weta project that he's overseeing, where it's like. Um, he also did one for the 100th anniversary of World War One that was like a really big deal mm-hmm. in England. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal, yeah. Yeah, where he like colorized and like digitally, he pioneered this technique to make old footage look normal by like smoothing out the frame rate. Um, so like you when you watch footage of you know a, newsreel footage from 1911 or whatever, it looks like shit because the frame rate's wrong and everybody's jerking around, right? This is why that's like this kind of stereotype of old old film but that's just you know because of a weird accident of filmmaking so he figured out a way to like digitally add in the missing frames kind of like motion smoothing but in this Mm -hmm. case it's necessary you know so yeah he's doing a lot of this stuff like making these like historical documentaries analyzing like hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage um which is kind of almost like a like a digital effects project as much as it is a documentary um, and now he's doing something uh, the the Beatles documentary that's which is be, the same uh, thing. I mean, yeah, it's exactly yeah. hundreds and hundreds, and they also did digitally a lot of stuff to it, like they brightened mm-hmm. up the shots and uh, all sorts of other things, um, which is really <laughs> interesting, is fr- you know. Yeah, it's insane uh, uh, to think that he's become like we're saying he's doing important work. Uh, uh, it's fair to say, Lord of the Rings changed filmmaking, or uh, it's a classic Hollywood film at this point too, which is wild to say, but his. Other movies are uh, a puppet soap opera, Meet the Feebles, <laughs> which is insane and gross and worse than everything I could imagine. And then uh, I, uh, one of my favorite, I, my favorite of his early stuff, uh, Bad Taste, which is Bad taste, sure. po- so poorly. So like, I don't know, 70 cents budget. It's yeah, so right. cheap, but like he gets gross stuff done 
on this uh, horror movie was alien movie shot in the day with bad costumes. <laughs> yeah, Catherine's dad always likes to talk about that movie because there's a famous scene in it where they use um, guacamole as oh yeah, either it's is it gross. pus or vomit. I forget. A pu- puke, yeah, puke, yeah. yeah. And he says he couldn't eat guacamole for like years afterwards because it just made him think of that scene in the movie. It um, really does stick with you. He's he's, he's great. One. I mean, <laughs> but speaking of his influence too, like I was watching this movie and I was thinking, okay, so this is a three hour long, extremely high budgeted movie that's taking nerdy source material that it's easy to forget. But up until this point in Hollywood, like people didn't take this kind of stuff seriously. They no. thought this kind of stuff was like jokey nonsense for children. You know what I mean? That's how comic book movies were treated. And that's how fantasy movies were treated by and large. Um, and and it's it's instead treating it deadly seriously and giving it like a gigantic budget and then it turns out to make even more money than it cost. So, you know, taking that along with Pirates of the Caribbean and along with Spider-Man and along with Harry Potter, you know, is this the beginning? I feel like when Dune... Oh, whoa, whoa sorry. Shit. Whoop, whoop. Sorry, I dropped something. I feel like when um, a lot of people have been saying recently, like, when did we get to this moment where all movies are three hours long? And I feel like Lord of the Rings is a good answer. Yeah, I think, uh, um, yeah, that might be the, the, uh, I think Star Wars episode one was a couple years before this, which is not three hours long, but it was like uh, at least two hours long. But, and it took that sense of like what nerdy is, but that was also a movie about a existing movie franchise. So it clearly wasn't a thing, but that was also years of uh, nerd conventions and whatnot. And maybe even, uh, you're going to back me up on this, the Star Trek, which those weren't extremely long movies, but there were what, seven or eight of them at this point. And they were making money uh, again, uh, convention stuff. And I don't know, we power to the comic con power to uh, just comic book conventions in general, or they just like, cool. The fan base is there. Uh, And maybe they said like, Oh wait, here's a thing they all love and all can agree on. And we found the right guy to do it. Uh, And actually, uh, uh, I, when I, the research I did do, uh, he shopped it around. It didn't get picked up at one studio. Uh, New Line did it. Good it's job, crazy. New Line. It's uh, crazy. T- that t- it's crazy. T- took line. took this risk. Uh, and he he uh, pitched it out. He, his pitch also involved uh, him showing like the actual effects and what he would do. Uh, but he only pitched it as two movies, which is insane. Oh, that's interesting. And they were like, "No, you could do three. And they're like, "No, you could do three, Which is wow. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it had to. I mean, it's a lot of. I mean, it's three books, you know. So you'd have yeah. to skip a lot to do. Mm-hmm. And to skip they, a lot they, even just to make three movies because it's. I believe he did skip a lot. Is what uh, all the all the, all your Tom Bombadil apologists always get at it, get at, get at him. Yeah, that is a hundred percent true. Um, <laughs> it is. Yeah, I mean, it, New Line, like the house that Freddie built, famous for making Freddy Krueger movies. Mm-hmm. You know, as of like. 1991, 10 years before this movie came out, they're making Freddy's Dead, the sixth Nightmare on Elm Street movie, which is a terrible piece of shit, you know? <laughs> and that's like their bread and butter. So to think that 10 years later, they're releasing Lord of the Rings, like the movie that is literally nominated for Best Picture is like, that's yeah. nuts. That is nuts. Yeah, uh, yeah. to talk about the, uh So yeah, like we said, this is kind of a game changer thing. It's all these three movies, the Lord of the Rings are like, should be considered classic Hollywood. Like should they're probably all through on the like AFI hundred list of just best movies ever. Like they are going to stand the test of time. It's amazing. But specifically this one to talk about uh, fellowship of the ring, uh, 11 Academy award nominations, only won four because you're like, oh, okay, we, well, you, you're, 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 it obviously won for, uh, 
uh, makeup, uh, cinematography at one, which is kind of cool. Uh, the guy who did all the subsequent movies didn't win anymore, but he won for this one. <laughs> uh, uh, then the score, Howard Shore did the score, beautiful score uh, by Howard Shore. Oh, it's only three, I guess. Oh, no, visual effects. Obviously, it won visual effects. That's what my obviously it was going to be. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a great, like, and specifically as we saying how uh, how you kick off a franchise, uh, introduce your characters, show their stakes, and then, you know, show them react in action sequences of things we want to see them in. Uh, like Legolas and Gimli don't appear to like halfway through this movie, but they're timeless characters because they're like, oh, cool. They're just going to cool shoot arrows and say quips and fight each other. And that's what they do for the rest of this time. It's, it's great. We get to see that right away. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Caleb, it's a fantastic movie. I feel like I could talk about it for the rest of my life. Do you want really to move on we, to these um, questions we have? We, we, we should because we are we gone, we gone long. We gone long. Um, so like Caleb, let's say you have to pick one of these movies or your great house will be tragically destroyed by the forces of the emperor. Oh, no. Or an uh, army of house. one or the other, you know. Uh, yeah, it is with the benefit of hindsight that we are looking at Lord of the Rings. Uh, and that's just, you can't, we can't help that at all. Uh, and it's totally complimentary that we're even comparing Dune to such uh, a storied, uh, important movie yeah. to do it. And I, I would say uh, Dune succeeds in more ways uh, than I uh, initially thought it would, would when I th- was thinking about it. Um, it obviously with the money behind it and the advances of technology, those things are cool and look amazing and better. But uh, even in uh, how we cast, um, like there's mostly men in Lord of the Rings. Like we said, Kate Blanchett, but she's barely in it really. And Tyler's barely in it. And that's obviously in the book, but also uh, to the point of Dune too, like the, uh, like the mom is the basically one of the main characters, uh, so that's also like interesting and in, in, as well as progressive in its way. Uh, would th- there be a woke version of Lord of the Rings where they cast uh, women? I wouldn't mind seeing it. It didn't work for Ghostbusters, but I would check it out. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's Lord of the Rings. It's uh, uh, as a person who wasn't nerdy about it and saw it, became obsessed with it, and loved it. Still, like, watched it this morning and was still floored by the filmmaking behind it. I, I have to pick Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, I mean, you have to just say that, right? I mean, maybe in 20 years we'll look back at Dune we'll and look the influence well, yeah. it had on cinema and say, like, well, you know, obviously we're witnessing something special the time, you know, the first moment that we saw Dune. But, like, you know, I I just was watching Lord of the Rings and I thought, like, this is an amazing movie. I can't believe this is 20 years old. I can't wait to show this to my daughter when she's old mm-hmm. enough. It's, I can't wait to read her these books. Like what a great journey this is. I want to watch the next one of these movies now. I know I run in to watch it too. I was like, as soon as I watched like, damn, I could easily watch the whole thing. They're all there on HBO. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dune, I thought is a great movie. And in a lot of ways, it was like literally everything I could have possibly hoped for out of a Dune adaptation. Mm-hmm. I am mildly concerned that we're embarking on some kind of like seven movie Dune epic. Cause there are like an almost, there are many, many Dune books. And if you're going to make multiple movies out of each book, this could be going on for the next decade. You know, I, I really have no idea, but just based on this one movie, like, Timothée's great. Oscar Isaac's great. Um, 
I can't wait to see Zendaya actually do some acting in the next movie, you know, rather than just like mm-hmm. everybody keeps saying it's like she's in a perfume commercial. She's only in the movie for seven minutes. It's mostly in dream sequences that have very strongly evoked the visual language of perfume commercials. <laughs> and uh, like, yeah, but she's like one of the stars that's doing press for the movie, which is pretty dumb. Um, but like, yeah. But at the end of the day, you got to say Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, like what a fully realized vision, what a revolutionary piece of filmmaking, what an influential piece of culture. Like it's, it's fucking good, bro. What can you say? Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's uh, like not to compare it to like Citizen Kane or uh, maybe Star Wars too, which you could yeah, easily compare Star it Wars to. Star Wars is fair. Uh, yeah. But, but, but as with comparing when I said invoke Citizen Kane, just like as a movie, when you look back, uh, 60 or so years like oh yeah that sticks out of its era of what the movies were doing of its era that's uh, an all-time classic but to its credit it's a lot closer than uh, maybe even we're conveying that dune is a very good movie too like it's closer yeah. than you think it's of great how... it's a great yeah. movie yeah, yeah i loved it i felt really good watching it i feel like you know there's like there's no shame being number two to lord of the rings no <laughs> obviously not no not at all and it's kind of hard to untangle the influence of lord of the rings because it came out the same year as harry potter mm-hmm. and it was such a phenomenon and there was such a boom in these kind of like fantasy adventure movies i mean even pirates of the caribbean obviously was already in development because it came out very shortly afterwards but like this kind of big fantasy action movie that is like also family friendly. There was just there. The next 10 years were completely full of them, whether it's like Percy Jackson and the lightning thief or the, uh, uh, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe movies, mm-hmm. you know, even Shrek, there was like eight of those. Yeah, about even troll. Shrek. Yeah, exactly. Like it just created this genre. It was a, it was a, it was a proof that there was money to be made in this kind of storytelling mm-hmm. and Hollywood got every single one of those the, dollars. Yeah. 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 You know. uh, hey, build, you could build characters through uh, movies uh, as long as you have the story behind them and man, uh, tentpole franchises. That is the reality we live in. Yeah, brother. And I completely agree. And on that note, I'm just going to say like, what a fantastic time it was talking to you about these two fucking kick-ass movies. These two <laughs> movies that we could probably do an episode for our 30th year anniversary. <laughs> yeah, right. um, but uh, thanks for hanging out. What a lovely time it was. Yes. Good job. Good job. Bye. 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 Bye.